so much to me and the fact that you are all sitting out here for a night that I did not think was possible. <laughs> to be humbled for so long. To told I I love you. These women love you. The NWA loves you. And when I think about the history that has been made inside of these four walls, and for the first time in 37 years, and the first matches to be held in these hallowed halls is women's wrestling. It means a whole hell of a lot. You know, when we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And for the WWE Championship. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Welcome to the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. This is your host, Ms. Green. Thank you for tuning in to this review of NWA Empower, which just aired as I'm recording this last night. And uh, it, it was an interesting pay-per-view. Had its, had its ups and downs, as, as most of them do. And we're going to go through that. And if you have not had the opportunity to see that pay-per-view as of yet, if you listen to this, be warned. There are spoilers ahead. I will not be going into a play-by-play of every match, but I will tell you what I thought of the match and who came out on top in that individual match. So, uh, if you are not wanting to hear who won and who lost, uh, you may want to check this out after you've watched the show and and compare notes. But if you do not care and you just want to hear, okay, if they did a good job or or not, then, uh, then, yeah, we can continue and uh, check out the show. So anyway, um, this is common knowledge at this point that the uh, pay-per-view ran on Fight TV. That's F-I-T dot TV. So if you haven't seen it, if you did not know where it was or how you could find it, that was the place. I got the bundle package. Uh, so I just want to start off on the, the price because I think the, the actual pay-per-views themselves are somewhere about... 30 bucks, but for the additional 10, you get the uh, you got both shows because remember, NWA Empower was running in conjunction with the NWA 73rd, which is Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, you basically get the two pay per views back to back. So, what you would have normally paid for like your typical uh, standard pay per view, especially back in the day, uh, you could get two of them for that same price. So there we go. Um, and I may talk about that. And, and also, for those that, that weren't aware, the, the night of 
of uh, Empower did affect at least one of the matches on the next night. So, you know, that does come into play later on in the show. So let's let's get into the, the program and how it has progressed and what was going on. So they have an opening video, as you kind of expect out of these pay-per-views these days, where they essentially ran through – uh, the build of having an all-women's pay-per-view. They showed lots of clips from, uh, not not long extensive clips, but lots of clips of some women. It started off with some very old footage. It went fairly fast, but I do I think it was Burke. I cannot say that for certain, but it was clearly uh, you know vintage footage, and then you kind of followed that up with clips from Women that were participating in various aspects of the wrestling industry, that being some from AEW, of course, NWA footage. Uh, I believe he has some impact footage tossed in there. So they, they had a lot of representation. The only one that really stood out to me that was like, why why is she in there is, um, uh, gosh, what is that, that young lady's name? Oh, I might have to come back to it because I can't re- remember her name right now. I don't know why. It just... It completely dropped out of my mind. Um, but I was going to say one of them, she she wasn't on the show, so I wasn't really sure why they included her. I mean, I could certainly understand if they had advertised her and she were sick or unable to, to make it or, or, or something along those lines. But uh, I, I just... I couldn't really understand that because it wasn't even like they they advertised her at all. And holy, you know what? Now I got to look. I have, to, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here right now, but I I have to look and see exactly who who this person is because I, I know I'm not gonna remember on my own. So let's uh, let's jump to the NWA page because I know she wrestled for them at some point. And we'll take a quick look here. We'll just scroll down. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> and, you know, I had to, t- had to, in the middle of this review, I had to stop because that just really was driving me up the wall. Kenzie Page Henry. She was the uh, young lady that they had in the clips, and I, I, for the life of me, I just could not remember her name whatsoever. But, yeah, for whatever reason, she was in the clips. I, don't, I mean, uh, maybe they were trying to fluff out the video. I don't know, but she was in there for some unknown reason, but she was never advertised to be on the show, so I don't I, – I really don't get it. Anyhow, uh, after they ran through that, they, you got the normal, uh, hey, this is the FBI, don't repeat, don't rebroadcast, blah, blah, blah. Then they cut into a vignette that was that was produced and ran on the uh, NWA social media page at one point with uh, Aaron Stevens and his new tag team partner being interviewed by Mae Valentine as they talked about uh, well, you have to set the tone is that it's shown in black and white with like the sepia tone to it. So they're, so they're addressing this interview as if it were taking place, let's say, in the uh, 50s or something. Well, I mean, it probably was supposed to be, b- be before that, which wouldn't make any sort of sense. But um, So they were talking about this, this show, and I, I have to admit, the vignette is funny. They, because he's saying things that they know are clearly wrong because he's addressing them like they haven't happened yet. 
you know, stuff like, oh yeah, and uh, you know, women will never have all paper, all women's pay per view. What a matter of fact, when she brought it up, he's like, pay per view. What, what what's a pay per view? You know, so they, you know they're having these little moments, and and yes, it does come off at uh, it comes off like the uh, the sports entertainment. It came off like they. <laughs> Uh, like it didn't belong in the NWA show, uh, quite honestly. But it worked because they 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 did commit to it. I will admit, like I said, it gave me a laugh. It was funny just because Aaron Stevens. I think I remember because he's had so many names by now. But I uh, but he's had uh, such a a time in doing these personas in front of the camera. And a matter of fact, if you go to the NWA Facebook page, now it is under their their video uh, package, uh, video page, the video tab. So let me let me rephrase that. So they they uh, and they've got a couple of these. Now that I'm I'm thinking about it, they they have a couple of these where they are talking as if they were from back in years ago. Uh, Aaron Stevens and uh, Kratos is is his tag team partner. So. It, it they they present it like oh this is unearthed footage watching for the first time, so it, that's funny and you do not have to see the pay per view in order to watch that they do have the uh, the the package up for you to look at and I stand corrected by the way I do stand corrected they did not I don't think they ever announced Kenzie for a match, but they did announce that she would be there so you know maybe they did the video package ahead of time and she just was not a. Uh, available to participate so i so you know i can admit when i'm wrong i stand corrected but the show starts and it's a very basic set so if you're used to having like led lights and and uh stuff constructed on the on the platforms and all that stuff it, none of that's there this is about as basic as basic can be it is just the nwa letters and a stage and curtains that is it now that inherently isn't bad, but again, if you are looking for something beyond that, if you're looking for something that is uh, more extravagant, this ain't the show for that. I will admit, this is one of those things that those other promotions did spoil me about. I, I at least wanted them like, okay, you know, like ECW never had an elaborate set. They had the little walkthrough, the little brick walkthrough with the curtain and all, and the lights around. I was like, you know, at least do that. But no, that that wasn't there. I mean, maybe it wasn't in the budget. I don't know. But this is about as basic as basic could be, and that was fine. Um, the first thing that we get is Mickey James. Mickey James comes out. She cuts a promo. Uh, you know, she she does get a, a a nice round of applause and thank you, Mickey, and all that good stuff. And she's clearly emotional about this. So I'm I'm certainly not going to discount anything that she said or or say that is untrue. Or anything along those lines, because that is not for me to say. I believe, I believe that it is as true as it could possibly be. I think that this meant a lot to her, especially for her to pretty much head it up. I think that uh, you know that she's got the opportunity to see this this project through. Uh, also, kind of you know makes her emotional. But admittedly, admittedly. There's one element of this that I do that I didn't get. Well, I'll get to that in a second because you know part of the promo that you have to address is the they. The the they in the promo we all know who's the WWE. 
Because uh, she made it to the point. like, they told me that this couldn't happen. They told me women's wrestling couldn't make money. Which is what made me bring up this next point. Because the only they that would do that or has done that is has been the WWE. Is is well documented. Is well noted that they uh, did not uh, take to her when she pitched the idea of another women's pay-per-view or all-women's show or something along those lines. They pretty much shut it down and told her that this this wasn't going anywhere. Now, I know I talked about it in some other podcasts, and I will say again, I, I don't know the WWE's finances as it relates to that or as pay-per-views, but if it didn't make money, it's probably because they began to you know strip down their own earning system, which they didn't depend on pay-per-views anymore. It, it, you know, that there wasn't a real need to buy it when they did their uh, evolution pay-per-view. It was all on the WWE Network. When I watched it, I mean, it was, it was just part of what I paid for about a month. It was the 10 bucks that I paid every month to watch it. So, I mean, I don't know how much money they were expecting, nor was I aware of, like, okay, X amount of people watched this show. They, the WWE did two Mae Young's classics and one Evolution pay-per-view, and they ran through the entire year talking about the first this and the first that, first Hell in the Cell, first Money in the Bank, first Women's Royal Rumble, first, you know, they, they, they ran through all of it. First WrestleMania main event. They, they, it's almost like they wanted to get it out of the way. And they did. And once they did it, is is you know, they haven't dropped them off completely, but it's almost back to the status quo. So I can understand where Mickey was with that. But I, I can't say that the WWE ever was going to take that seriously beyond the fact that it made good PR. And once they got done with it, they got done with it. I mean, they, they, they had their fun with their new toy, and then they moved on. You know, and that new toy happened to be at the time women's wrestling. So, the frustrations that Mickey James again well documented with the, with the WWE. I, I don't think it's any surprise. I don't think anybody that heard her cut this promo was surprised by the context of the promo or or the content of the promo. I should say. However, that said, when I thought about that, she you know, yeah, she has some issues with the WWE and the, how this was the first time that all women's pay per view and so on and so forth, I, that is where I come back to saying it kind of not confused me, but I was like, well, where are we talking about this as a first? Yes, it's a first for the NWA, and nobody should ever discount that or take it away or you know whatever the case may be. But Mickey James personally has been on, including this one, three all-women's pay-per-views, that were all considered a first. She was on TNA's Knockouts Knockdown, and that was their first all-women's pay-per-view. That was long before the WWE decided that, hey, we can produce women's wrestling too. She returned to the WWE, and she was on their pay-per-view. She was on Evolution. That was the first all-female pay-per-view, and, and to this point, the only all-female pay-per-view by the WWE, so there's another first. And now she's here, and she's on the NWA pay-per-view, which uh, is a first for them, yes, but I don't know 
where in the history of wrestling like this should sit as a first because it's it's not a first as a, as women's wrestling goes. There have been pay per views that were first before TNA or the WWE for that matter or Impact Wrestling at this point. I mean, I don't give Wow a lot of credit, Wow Superheroes, but you know they had a pay per view years ago. I think what in two thousand. So they're 20 years ahead of this. And then you go back further than that, you got the LPWA when they did the Super Ladies Showdown. I believe that was in 93 or 94, somewhere in there. I wanted to, you know what? No, no, no. I think it's earlier. Let's say 92. So, so again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, you know, the context of this is the first that she meant. But I, I guess she's got to stick to this is the first for the NWA. Therefore, it makes it important for them now that she's within this company. But she's done this a couple of times now. This is the third time around. So, you know, again, I'm not going to take away that it's not important to her. But I that just kind of was a little weird to me for the time. Anyway, after Mickey James gets out of the ring, we go to the first match, which was then labeled the Battle of the Brands. I did not feel like a battle of the brands to me. That That's just me. But um, we had Diamante representing AEW. And this is probably why it didn't feel like a battle of the brands. Because although Diamante wrestles for AEW uh, pretty regularly, I don't remember her as being a vital part of their women's division as it relates to TV. She's been on the YouTube. She's been on Elevation and Dark, I think. But, you know, you don't really see her all that often on the dynamite shows and rampage just started so i can't really comment on that but um ultimately even though she's there she hasn't been positioned that that's probably the best way to put it. she hasn't been positioned in the same way as uh red velvet or uh brit baker or uh reho and you know and the other women that have been on that show in a prime spot, uh, she she just she can wave the AEW banner, but I don't know if she she would be considered a top girl for AEW. Um, but that's that's open to interpretation, and you know I'm sure somebody out there would feel differently. Kylie Ray was the first person that walked out, and she got a nice ovation. It was great to see her. She looked gr- she looked great, uh, and. <laughs> It was good to see her back into back in the wrestling ring, and maybe this is the environment that she needs to be in. I know AEW didn't really work for her. I know uh, Impact Wrestling didn't really work for her. Maybe the NWA is the environment that she needs to be in in order for her to be happy and comfortable in a wrestling ring. It's more intimate. It's small. Perhaps it's not as much pressure. I don't know. Uh, but she came in represented the NWA because that's who she is uh, officially wrestling for these days. Chick Tormenta came in representing AAA. So that is the, the, the label, the battle of the brands. My only criticism of this match, and it was a good match, so I'm, I do not want to discount that, is that there seem to be points of obvious cooperation. Uh the opening sequence that they did, it was just like, you pin me, I pin you, you pin the next person. You know, it, it was it, it was a lot of that. And then the next thing, well, not the next thing, but what you got a little bit later on, I mean, and this is probably the most egregious example of it, is that, you know, Kyler Ray goes up to the top rope. 
Diamante is waiting there for what feels like a painfully long time for her to get there. And when she does come off the top rope, she has to raise her arm, you know, to feed it to her so she can come and do it an arm drag from the top. That just felt like just r- ridiculous, clear-cut cooperation to do the match. It didn't didn't feel like they were, you know, except for certain spots. And 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 again, you it is not just that. There was the spot where Chick Tormenta is waiting there for both of them to give her a super kick and just stuff like that. So there, there was these moments where it felt like there was obvious cooperation in the matches. And, and I'm not saying that to say that the match was bad or that it's not enjoyable, but it did feel like you saw, okay, it's my turn now. It's your turn. We're supposed to do this spot, you know, stuff like that. Uh, the match was won by Diamante, who hit a red alert, or some people call it the Canadian Destroyer. Well, no, it wasn't the Canadian Destroyer. It was uh, the red alert. Because it was almost like he flipped into a uh, sunset flip or sunset bomb. She pins Chick Tormenta to win the Battle of the Brands. So, you know, they they give a little shout-out and a nod to Tony Khan. All this happened after uh, uh, Kyler Ray was kicked out of the ring. So, you know, you have that. And then we move on to the next match. Now, this was the other thing that I kind of was like, hmm, something feels like it's missing here. And the thing that was missing, in my opinion, was the video packages. And you if you watch this, you'll notice as the show goes on, there are no video packages. There's no explanation of th- what this is or something like that. It just, you didn't have those moments in the show to help buffer it or explain where we are or how we got here. And is that a necessity? No, it is not a necessity. But I, I said it at the beginning, watching these other promotions over the last 20 years has spoiled me, and I'm pretty sure it's probably spoiled a couple of you out there, that you expect these things. You expect for it to explain it to you. You expect to see the visual aid of where this is. You expect to see, okay, how did these people even get picked for this tag team tournament? You know, and this is the opening round for the for the women's, or I should say semifinal for the women's tag team championships. And you didn't get any of those things. Like, why was Hex selected? Why was Hell on Heels selected? Why the Free Babes or Kylie King and Red Velvet? Why were these teams picked to be part of this tournament to go for these championships? Did they have any other matches leading in there where they just randomly dropped? You didn't get any of that. So it just it just felt like something was missing. But the, the first semifinal tag match was Hex which is uh, Allison Kay and Marty Bell. They were taking on Hell on Heels, Renee Michelle and Sarah Sahara Seven. Uh, one of the things is the, that took away from this, and I really hate to do it because I, I, I'm a production guy, and I know production is difficult. So it's hard for me to criticize production, but there was some bad camera work here on, on some, some moments. And it did not do their match any favors. It, it missed the spot. So I can't even tell you what that thing was. Uh, there was points in here where the ref did little to nothing. I was like, you know, you're not even pretending to try to maintain order. She just literally stood there while all four of them were there for a ridiculous amount of time. 
I mean, it is the NWA. The NWA is, uh, you know, a lot more classically geared wrestling, uh, typically more rule-oriented, but you did not get that here. It just kind of stood there and, and let let all of this happen, especially at the end. Marty didn't even leave the ring. And so, you know, I, I, I questioned that. There were a few awkward moments. It's like, Hex and Hell on the Hills, although they did fine, they, they seemed to have a couple of awkward moments. Like they just couldn't get the rhythm of each other a few times. But it ended with Hex catching a combo flapjack pedigree face buster on Renee Michelle for the win. Hex, Allison Kay, and, and uh, Marty Bell advanced to the finals. And they immediately go, you know, they leave the ring, go right into the next one. And that is kind of a theme that runs throughout the entirety of this night is when one thing is over, they move on to the next. There is no buffer. There is is no video packages, none of that. The only other thing that pops in is a promo. And I get the impression that a lot of this was done for the benefit of the live audience because there were no monitors or screens or nothing like that there. So, yes, we are looking at this on pay-per-view, but I think this was produced largely for the uh, attending audience rather than the viewing audience. Uh, So you got the Free Babes. The Free Babes consisting of Jazzy Gang, Miranda Gordon, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, Hallie J. I can't even say it. Um, the common denominator amongst the free babes is all of them are second generation wrestlers to varying degrees. Jazzy Yang, the daughter of Jimmy Wang Yang. Some people will remember him from, uh, or just Jimmy Yang. If you saw him from WCW or WWE, that would be the Jimmy Wang Yang character. Uh, Haley J. Hollywood. She is the daughter of uh, Amazing Maria which some of you, particularly on this channel, if you followed the independent wrestling scene, you would know who she is. Uh, she's been around and doing this for quite some time, and she is still doing it. She's still wrestling, and she participates in OVW quite a bit and was a tag team partner to uh, Jesse Bell. And, of course, rounding it out was Miranda Gordy as uh, you know the muscle of the group, and she obviously the daughter of... Terry Bam Bam Gordy of the Free Birds fame, uh, which clearly would, we had the Free Babes as a play on. I had gone into this match predicting that the Free Babes would win it, uh, going up against the babyface team of Kylan King and Red Velvet, who uh, are most notable for being part of AEW's roster. The two of the three that were represented here were Jazzy Yang and Miranda Gordy. Miranda being the uh, uh, the muscle of the group, Jazzy Yang came out wearing a Show Nuff outfit. And if you don't know who I'm talking about with Show Nuff, you need to go watch uh, The Last Dragon. I, I, I had I got a kick off of that outfit that she was wearing, uh, and they did great. I enjoyed this. This is a much better, much better tag match. I was surprised uh, how smooth it went because most of the the free babes are relatively new. To the uh, to the industry, but they they did good. The the crowd was into it, uh, and they had a legit hot tag in there, where they worked and worked and worked to keep vel- red velvet in the ring. They they cut her off at every turn. So when she got the tag, it looked like the free base was doing everything in their power to keep her from getting there. 
Rather than, and I got to roll back to the previous match, rather than the way that Hex versus Hell on Heels did it, where we and we see this a thousand times in tag matches now where both of us are down and we're crawling to the corner and there's like this invisible rope or quicksand or something that's making them super slow to where they both reaching out within inches of the other person. We tag at the same time and then we switch off. I mean, that... That was interesting once or twice, but it's ridiculous. Now, especially when minutes later that person runs back into the ring like they got a full charge of energy or something. So anyway, uh, this is why the free birds, uh, free birds, this is why the free babes match in Kylie King versus Red Velvet came off as so much better. Um, I am interested in seeing more of the free babes, quite honestly. Uh, and I did say Jazzy Yang and Miranda Gordon were the representatives of the free base. Haley J was b- essentially in the Michael Hayes role. She was the mouthpiece. She stood out there and she's yelling. She's gone out the rough. She did her job. Cheating. She did not just punching through the rope. She lift her leg and start kicking her opponent in the rope. I mean, she just in the little bit of stuff that she did out there, she did good. This is a match I would say if you get a chance to to watch the show this is the match to tune in for i enjoyed this match very good uh the winners of it were kylin kylin king and red velvet kylin king pinned jazzy yang following an escape uh and a basically a mess up by the free babe she she pushed jazzy yang into miranda gordon which put her out of the ring kylin king who is clearly the superior size and height uh picks yang up Drops her in the kingdom fall, one, two, three. They advance, they go into the final. So you got the final match. It would be Hex versus Colin King and Red Velvet. I actually predicted it the other way around. I did predict Hex, but I thought the free babes would go there, basically them being heels. So they went kind of the opposite direction. We cut to a backstage promo. We have uh, May Valentine interviewing Marty Bell and, and uh, Allison Kay. Talking about how this, you know, what this means to them and whatnot. Uh, the important part of this promo is Marty Bell. Marty Bell spoke about the relationship between the Dominican Republic and the NWA, saying that it had been kind of shaky for some years, uh, which is true because she, and, and she not alluded to, she basically mentioned the fact that there, there had been no official NWA champion from the Dominican Republic, despite the fact, and she didn't go into this, despite the fact that there were Dominican Republic wrestlers who, quote, won the championship, has never been officially recognized by the NWA for various reasons. I think one of those reasons being Ric Flair just dropped the title so he could avoid a uh, a riot when he was in the Dominican Republic and left, which is why Rick is always like, hey, you know, I've actually won the title like 23, 24 times, something like that. But officially speaking, that title win and or loss is not recognized. And nobody from the Dominican Republic has ever been recognized, which is the whole thing. So Marty walked into this match saying, or at least in, in this promo, saying that tonight the Dominican Republic will have an officially recognized NWA champion, you know, basically when the match was done. Uh, if you heard the previous uh, pro- the podcast from me, you already knew that I walked into this match with with uh, Hex as my as my pick to win the championship. 
Uh, it, it did feel a little odd to me that they got a promo, but the but Kylan King and and uh, uh, Red Velvet did not. Uh, I don't know why that was, but if you're going to interview one person that got to the finals, why not interview the other one? It, it didn't didn't make a lot of sense to me, but that that's kind of nitpicking, and I'll move on. Uh, the next thing we got was Gail Kim. She cut a promo in the ring, and this is interrupted by Taryn Terrell, Genocide, and uh, Bella Blade, I think her name was. I didn't know if it was Blade or Blaze, uh, quite honestly, and that, that's terrible that I didn't, but anyway. Uh, so it's, it's Taryn Terrell's little faction, and um, going back to what Gail Kim was doing, Gail was there as one of the producers of the show. We had talked about that, that she, Mickey James, Medusa, and Jazz were the producers backstage. And so he had Gail Kim come out and address the crowd, and she talked you know, about what this meant to her and so on and so forth, and it was a good promo. But this was the promo that was interrupted, as I just said, by Taryn Terrell. And this was kind of alluding to that, you know, that they basically expected you to know their history. And their history takes place in Impact Wrestling. Because Gail Kim gave this woman a lot in those matches. They had like a series of matches. And uh, I think the most famous of which would be their, was it Slammiversary? I think it was. I think it was Slammiversary where they had the last woman standing match. Uh, referee by ODB. That was the one where uh, Taryn Terrell like, gave her a cutter off the stage right onto the floor. So, you know, they, they had this history that they were kind of playing up. But the roles are reversed here. Whereas in TNA, Gail was the heel. Taryn was the babyface. Taryn comes out here. She's clearly the heel. And she's the overbearing, self-absorbed, heel with her two muscles behind her and she's saying well you know this not is all about me so you know you need to buy you need to get out of the ring gail of course does not leave and this is where she does it like two or three more times like all right girls get out of my ring and just before that happens we get the music that tna fans or impact fans would know very well it was Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong makes a surprise appearance to save Gail Kim. And she clears the ring. Well, you know, when she first walks in, she goes face-to-face with Gail Kim. Kind of leading people to like, okay, whose side is she on type moment. And as soon as Genocide comes up to her, like puts her hand on her shoulder, like, yeah, we're going to get you type deal. Kong looks at it, looks at the hand on her shoulder, and then that's when she goes to work. She beats up both uh, genocide and her partner, puts them down, choke slam, uh, implant buster right on top of genocide, and cleans clears the ring out. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed that genocide got kind of handled like that because she has been positioned as the monster, but I guess. Given the information that was coming later that they were trying, you know, they were giving the last hurrah for uh, Awesome Kong, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So they bail. The bad guys bail. Gail Kim is sitting out there. She's yelling at him, and behind her, Awesome Kong comes up, and she is looking like she's going to attack Gail at any given moment. Gail turns around. She sees her, and, you know, 
we're still not sure where Kong is going. Gail gets the microphone, and then Kong waves her in like, give me the mic. And you know Kong doesn't really talk all that often. At least she didn't, it, especially in her early phases. She gets the microphone, and she essentially tells the, the crowd that, you know, it's been a tough time for her and her household in so many words, and that she was not, you know, known for her talking. But there was one thing that was going to get her off of the couch and come come out to do this show, and that was this woman here. She points to Gail Kim. And they reflect on the feud that they had in TNA and that they made history, and I, I have to completely agree that the two of them essentially were the foundation of that women's division. The matches that they had, if you have not seen it, you need to go back and watch them. The matches that they had made that company, you know, or made fans take a look at it, especially during the time where it was like, okay, is them or the WWE's women's division? And WWE, all due respect to the ladies that were there, they were not kicking out matches for their women the way that Gail Kim and Awesome Kong were doing at that time. In fact, I don't even know if any other company was providing that. And they were putting it on and they were getting views. They were, they were getting ratings. They, they put in a lot. And they talked about that. And you could clearly see that it meant something to them. It was a lot of emotion. I mean, you know, yeah, you got emotion early with Mickey James and, you know, and her promo, but there was a lot of emotion running in this ring between the two of them because you can see that it 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 meant so much that they had uh, done that. And Kong essentially said that you know she was she was done. She was she had, she announced that she was retired right there in the ring during this promo. And, you know, again, told the world, like, if anybody was, if I was going to get up and do this for anybody, I, it was going to be for her. Gail Kim gets the microphone. She essentially, you know, returns the, fair, you know, the, the, the praise. Like, you know, we have a bond that won't be broken. And, you know, this, this, what we did meant so much to me, you know, and what have you. So, I mean, there's a lot of times where people question the, the reality that goes into wrestling, but I, I would firmly believe and completely believe that this was a, a very real moment and that it meant the world to them, absolutely. And so you got that, and they they uh, had a lot of tears between the two of them. And you got Kong's retirement announced. The show rolls on. And goes from retirement to Impact Wrestling Knockouts Championship. Deanna Perrazzo taking on Melina, which we haven't seen her challenge for any championship outside of a WWE environment before tonight. I went into this not really knowing what to expect. I predicted Perrazzo for the win, but I am going to just tell you, in the middle of this, I was, I was pulling for Melina. For me, this was the match of the night. I enjoyed this. It was gritty. There was nothing overly flashy. It wasn't like they did a, a, a thousand different moves or whatever the case would be. But what went on in the ring, bell to bell, was just fun to watch. It, it looked like they were doing everything possible to get that win. And... Uh, basically, you know, we we saw a version of this with Goldberg and Lashley at SummerSlam not too long ago. The leg gets hurt, and 
and uh, the ref is getting ready to, you know, stops it for, you know, obvious reasons for injury and can't can't proceed, can't go on. But here they went a different route. It was the same setup. I mean, not literally the same setup, but you get the point. Her leg gets injured. She is hurting. She can barely stand. You know, comes off the ropes, collapses. Uh, the referee is constantly checking on her. Her being Melina, and it turns into her almost pleading with the referee, "No, don't, you know, don't stop it. I can still go." You know, she's she's standing up, trying to trying to convince the referee, "I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay." And so she she keeps going. And again, you know, I have to repeat, Belina didn't do anything overly flashy here. She looked great. I, I, I think it stands to be said, especially for, uh, you know, those wrestling peers out there or the, or the anti-WWE fans, it would be very easy to just crap on Melina. It would be very easy to be like, oh, yeah, she was nothing but a WWE diva. She don't know how to wrestle. She don't know what she's doing, blah, blah, blah. In fact... They kind of played up on that earlier in the, uh, you know, the reinvention of the NWA where she, you know, I think Thunder Rosa was the champion at the time. And Melina was doing those interviews saying that, you know, she was groundbreaking and this, that, and the other. And, of course, she was the, she was the bad guy in that scenario. So it became very easy to kind of play off of the, you know, the, the divas weren't as good as the real wrestlers, quote, unquote. Um, and, and, and they were going to get – know easy heat off of that here of course that was reversed melina was not portrayed as you know the old wwe diva she was portrayed as a champion and she she came in and she fought the good fight uh there's not really much as i can say about that it was a fun match and the end of the match you know uh, it, it only to me really solidified Deanna Perrazzo as the uh, as the Impact Champion. Of course, she she came in. I think as the Reina Duranes uh, Championship as well. So she she entered with two belts. She looked like a champion, not just because she had the belts, but it, she just had this magnificent air of confidence about her. Melina's interest. They tried to recreate the whole paparazzi thing, which I, I, I honestly I didn't like because look if you if you can't afford the 10 or so extras to come out there with the cameras taking the pictures, then it doesn't come off really good. It comes off kind of uh, low rent. But that was beside the point because Melina still looked fantastic uh, in every sense of the word. So getting back to the end, what happens here is that Perrazzo goes for the arm bar that she's been known for using, plants Melina down. Melina is shifting her body, desperately trying to get over to the rope. As soon as she reaches out with the other rope, Perrazzo grabs that and then turns it into almost like a modified rings of Saturn. Then Melina's trying to shift her lower body over. She's shifting that and trying to get her leg on the rope. As soon as she reaches the leg out, Perrazzo grabs that and then transitions into like a half crab. And by that time, it was like, you know, she couldn't last any longer and she had to tap. It was a fun match it was a good match i thought that this was probably as uh good of a match as they were going to have on the night for like i said for me match of the night or at least you know it was my top um i would like to see melina you know get in there again and and if, if you're going to talk about the story that's told in the ring 
the no quit, I'm not going to give it up type thing, or at least, you know, unfortunately she did. But the the no quit attitude until she just, I, I took all I could stand and I can't stand a more story. It made Peraza look that much better. It made Melina and my eyes look stronger because we haven't seen her wrestling who knows how long. And she put up uh, a fantastic effort. And I really would like to see it happen again. I would I would love to see her show up in the impact uh, zone and challenge for that title. Like, just give me one more shot. I'd like to see it again. I mean, and you know, I have to repeat, there wasn't anything overly flash. It wasn't it wasn't the same type of match that you got with Perrazzo and Thunder Rosa. This was a different match. This was a a brawl almost, uh, with some wrestling tossed in between. So. If you get a chance to see it, you should watch that. I almost wish that that was the main event. I understand why it wasn't, because it's representing an entirely different company, but I almost wish that that was the main event of the night. The next match of the night, the Tag Team Championships for the NWA Women's Tag Team Titles. This will be the reintroduction of the Tag Team Titles for uh, the NWA under the, the Corrigan era. And... Uh, of course, we know the, the women's tag team championships have been kind of marred and 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 purchases and transitions and stuff like that. Now, I doubt that they're ever going to acknowledge that because there was a point in time where yes, the NWA had women's tag team championships, but somehow or another, those tag team championships transitioned into um, being part of the WWE's lineage. And I want to say, let's see, it was created and I don't think they have a standing record. I believe it's somewhere in 1952. That's where the Tag Team Championships originally were produced for the women. We're talking about for the women here. And those titles had existed for a number of years, right up until the 80s, where it was Grable and Richter as the tag team championships. Most people would probably uh, remember um, teams like Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, uh, Princess Victoria and Velvet McIntyre and and so on and so forth. But in 83, uh, was 84 they were sold to the WWF the World Wrestling Federation and it was just kind of the lineage just kind of picks up from there so again the titles there's a little bit of a, a kind of a weird history in that that it, it belonged to the NWA it worked in many different promotions they were traveling championships much like the NWA championships in general then it just got to the point, I don't know why, I, I did not go into the, the research as to why they sold it to the WWE, but it was sold to the WWE, and the WWE kept it for probably about a year before it was ultimately just deactivated. So if you include the WWE championships within the legacy of that, then you you have Victoria and McIntyre, uh, Desiree Peterson and McIntyre because uh, Victoria had a neck injury, which caused her essentially to 
to vacate her half of the championship. Peterson took her spot. The Glamour Girls took that to Judy Martin and Lonnie Kai, which, you know, they did, did the old uh, title change that nobody saw deal in Cairo, Egypt. <laughs> uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels and then the Glamour Girls. And then it was just a, a, a vacated and pretty much abandoned after that. So uh, the, the lineage here, as it relates now, is starting up in 2021. I mean, that is a long time for them not to have the titles, but... Here we are. So the finals being Hex, Marty Bell, Allison Kay taking on Kylan King, and uh, Red Velvet. Medusa comes out before this to present the tag team championships in much the same fashion that she came out to produce, I mean, present the women's championship when they react, not reactivated, but uh, took it underneath the Billy Corgan era. That being with Allison Kay and Santana Garrett. So Allison Kay is back again, and she's in another set of finals. She's going for the championship one more time, or a different set of championships uh, with her best friend, and they made that very clear. You know, they acknowledged, and if you've ever seen them on Twitch or you've ever seen them on social media, you know that is not something that they made up. These Marty Bell and Allison Kay are legit, uh, very close friends. Um, uh, Medusa sat down at, at the commentator's booth, and took it from a three-person booth to four because she commentated throughout the match. And I will say, she was excited during the match. And, man, she also clearly did not care that she was kind of roaming in and out of talking like a commentator versus talking like somebody behind the scenes. She's saying stuff like, yeah, yeah, Velvet Vel is really carrying this match. And, you know, just using, like, insider terminology. You know, not not that that's my place to say that she can't. Of course she can. Um, the real thing, the, or the real defining moments here is that uh, Colin King had been presented as one of the towering powerhouse women this evening. And her being matched up against Allison Kay visually looked very good. Uh, and also that the team of Colin King and Red Velvet, who came out earlier, Primarily as baby faces against the free babes, somewhat morphed into working as heels here. But despite that, they did not overcome uh, the AEW representatives, which they were, did not overcome the, the challenge of taking on uh, Hex. I will say before going into the, the final or the finish of the match, it was good to see Red Velvet in an environment outside of AEW. I, you know, for whatever reasons, and this is for the people that followed AEW, for whatever reasons, when she took Brandy's spot, I don't think that that did her any good or any favors when she was substituting her. It's almost like she became Brandy number two. And... That's a not a not a cool legacy for her to have. Uh, here, she didn't have that. She did not have the stigma of "I'm only in this spot because I was handpicked by Cody." Red Velvet was Red Velvet, and she was and she was working. She had her working boots on. I have to agree with Medusa there. She was all over this thing, and she was you know getting the job done. 
the team of Colin King and, and Red Velvet do need to make another appearance. They were very, very good. They came up short, but they were very, very good. Um, it ended on an assistant AK-47 from Allison K uh, on Red Velvet for the pin. And they became the new tag team champions in the Billy Corgan era, uh, ushering in, I guess, a new era for tag team wrestling as far as the women are concerned. So there we have it. Uh, the end of the match kind of did a little bit of a repeat of what we saw earlier with Kong where they're standing behind him and they're looking mean and kind of planting the seeds or at least implying that they were going to attack and, uh, you know, we're pissed off and we're going to do something. But that never happened. They actually, you know, they, they hug and, and handshakes and all that good stuff and they gave the spotlight to the team of Hex. And, uh, you know, that one thing I can say that or the common theme of the night was there's a lot of emotion that some of these ladies were displaying and they seemed very legitimately very happy for uh, the team of Hex getting the opportunity to be the tag team champions. I'm not overly fond of the belts. If anybody else saw them or you do see them, let me know how you feel. I mean, I wouldn't qualify myself as a belt marker or anything, but uh, I was not overly fond. They just seemed so basic. They looked very, very plain. And uh, uh, you just think that they would have something a a little bit more glamorous now. It's, It's almost like, you know, I get the NWA and Billy Corgan are trying to be traditional and all that good stuff like that. I understand, but it is almost like they are going out of their way to make everything that they do and produce just ridiculously old school. And, you know, we, we, we don't have to rewind the clock that far back. I mean, they are, they got rid of video packages and a set, and the belts look like they were made in 1952. I mean, it's just, it, we don't need all of that. So, some of this you can, make, you can modernize. I mean, just, just a bit. At least bring it up to the 80s or something. Uh, but it did, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Leave your comments. Let me know. The next match is the match I thought that would be the main event. That did not happen. I was uh, thinking that Camille and legit Layla Hirsch would be the main event of the evening, that being for the NWA Women's uh, Championship. But that didn't happen. We had them coming out next. Before this, Billy Corgan came to ringside holding a small uh, bag and... um, the announcer got on and explained that within that bag was Mildred Burt's original championship that was brought to ringside. I don't know if they were, if I missed it, I do not know if they went into saying, hey, you know, the winner of this is going to get this championship and take it home. They did give it to the referee and they presented it to both. I really don't understand what the point of that was beyond saying that we have this, you know, treasured piece of wrestling history that we want to present. But it didn't come off that way. They, you know, they they did mention that this is Burke's title and so on and so forth. Uh, but I do not recall them ever saying, "Hey, and the winner of this will be able to take it home and it'll be yours forever," or, or you know, something to that nature. They just kind of held it up and they they let both of the wrestlers see it, and then that was it. You know, and I and I don't even remember the winner walking around with it when it was done. So I I do not know what that was about, other than let's just do it. So, 
we see the obvious size differential between legit Layla Hirsch and Camille. Uh, their interests were slightly varied in that we saw the camera bring them in from the back to the front. Um, uh, I guess a little slight difference just to make it a, get, have a big fight feel. And uh, I guess it helped a little bit. Uh, I still really wish that they had had some sort of video package. The, especially for these, especially for the singular or, or the championship matches in general. We had three championship matches run back to back to back. Perrazzo and Molina, Hex versus Kylan King and, and Red Velvet. Then Layla Hirsch and Camille. All of these ran back to back. And as we, other than the promo that uh, Hex had in the backstage, you didn't hear from any of them. Didn't hear from Perrazzo or Molina. Didn't hear from Hex again or Colin King. Colin King and Red Velvet should have got the chance. They didn't. Didn't talk. Uh, Layla Hirsch and Camille, neither one of them got the chance to really do all that much. Um, I mean, that, that, that is a very small thing in the grand scheme of it. I will admit that. But it does help with the big fight feel. The lighting, the positioning, the way they enter, uh, the announcement, who announces, you know, all of those things just changing up very s slightly does help with the big fight feel. And if they were trying to go for that, they got a little bit of it, but not all that much in my opinion. Hirsch represented herself very well. For those who are concerned about, okay, how's this uh, height differential going to work? I have to admit, Hirsch's whole mannerisms look great. I mean, she looked like she's like, I'm not concerned about you at all. What she reminded me of was a little bit of Kurt Angle, a little bit of Taz, especially Taz. Not that she was tossing around with suplexes and stuff like that. It's just that in his prime, Taz was not a tall guy. But they presented him so tough that – People began to believe in him, even though he was smaller than you know ninety percent of the people that he was in the ring with. People began to believe in that guy, and Hirsch did much the same thing. She got that crowd to believe in her with just her submission holes, her pre her her posture, her confidence. I mean, she did a German suplex from the top down, like. The only way I can describe it, Camille was on the second rope facing the outside. Hirsch was on the inside like she would have been superplexed. She fought free, put Camille down, stood up on like the turnbuckle post, jumped, twisted around, landed on the feet, grabbed her in a rear waist lock, and German suplexed her across the ring. I mean, it was, it was a great move. And again... Looks fantastic in, in her confidence. Camille doesn't really alter her look all that much. She did give some some respect to uh, her her. What, I was gonna say visuals. I was trying to get the word facials out. That's what I wanted to say. Her facials, in that okay, I'm concerned here for a little bit. And yes, she did use the size advantage. She slung her around. There was a nasty spot where she just slung her look seemingly head first, her being uh, Layla, into the steps like you heard the boom and it just dropped her. That Layla Hirsch is a tough cookie. That's all I can really say. 
Um, we know Camille is strong. Uh, she tried to go for a spear at one point, and uh, Hurst was able to evade it. Did not evade it on the second time, though. And later on in the match, there was a, a finish where Camille caught Hurst almost like in a uh, like you would hold a baby, and threw her across the ring. Hurst did land, but she kind of shook it off pretty quickly, gets up to her feet, and then across the ring, charges Camille, boom, catches her with a spear, one, two, three, matches over, she retains the championship. What I did not mention, what I forgot to mention is that she did uh, begin to come out to the ring accompanied by uh, Aldis and his group. I I forget their, their name, their faction name right now. And they sat at ringside. They sat in what they called the uh, Bush VIP because Bush was Bush beer was a, uh, uh, a sponsor of the show. Bush and Car Shield, uh, free plug for them, I guess. So they they were there ringside rooting her on. The cameras did take a look at that every once in a while. Uh, when she won, she went on out to ringside with her her boys. One of them being her legit uh, significant other. And celebrated with them a, a bit. Uh, what we did see was we saw Murdoch on the opposite side because we see Aldis yelling at somebody across off screen, and then the camera pans over and we see Murdoch, Trevor Murdoch, who would be challenging for the NWA World's Championship as I'm recording it tonight. So uh, that that was kind of a, a little bit of a tease to lead in for the next match. So they had their brief confrontation. Uh, Ultimately, the match was fine. I, I still maintained I enjoyed the Impact Championship match a little bit more. So now we go to the main event, which was kind of funny because Chelsea Green, and I said this in one of the earlier podcasts, got on her podcast and made it clear that like I want the main event. Mickey, pick me, you know that, you know, all that good stuff. And at the time, I was like, well, I saw that she was in the Invitational Battle Royal. or I mean, not Battle Royal. She was in the Invitational Gauntlet. But um, they never expressed where that was going to be positioned. And I, I would have thought that, okay, well, that's probably not going to be that big of a thing. I mean, they, they may have it in the beginning. You know, they, typically these gauntlet matches, unless it's like the Royal Rumble, it's not a main event slot. Uh, lo and behold, it was. So Chelsea Green, I don't know if it was because she publicly asked for it or not, but she got onto the show and she got the main event. She was in the Invitational uh, Cup, is what they called it, the, the NWA Empower Invitational Cup. All right, now this is where... I am going to be up and down with the show, so fair warning, I'm about to tell you right now, portions of this I did not like at all, and it's not necessarily because the participants in it. They should all be pissed at who was producing this in the control room or calling the shots, because this is not good. Anyway, so... First thing I had a problem with is that they at no point explained the rules before this started. It was just, it's the gauntlet. They didn't say if it was over the top rope, how many, how long the intervals were going to be, and one of them felt ridiculously lopsided. 
They didn't tell you, you know, uh, whether it was multiple ways to eliminate any of that. Just here it is. Now, they explained it during the uh, setup, but how long does it take to say, okay, here's the gauntlet. This is all pinfall, no over the top rope, no submission. You have to pin your opponent and blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, how long does that take? And put a little graphic on the screen. Uh, so I was a little, I was disappointed. I'm not going to say I was a little disappointed. I was disappointed in that. Uh, that that takes no effort. I mean, I, I made excuses for the production. I was a part of the show. But that takes little to no effort. They were able to put a graphic on the screen for their sponsor. They were able to put video packages at the beginning of this show. They were able to put video packages before they ran the FBI uh, no stealing this thing. So you cannot tell me that they couldn't put up some sort of graphic to say this is how this works. It just came off as, you know, doing the bare minimum. I mean, a few video packages here and there, I get it. You may not want to do that. All right, fine. But this is one of those points, like, I I watched the entirety of this show, and it just felt like like you are doing the absolute bare minimum to do produce a (sighs) pay-per-view. So anyway, we got the main event. The first person out, and this is a 10-woman kind of gauntlet match. And I'll get into why I say kind of later. And if you've heard the last podcast, you know what I'm talking about. Chelsea Green draws number one, which is good. We see her, and she she does look uh, like a star. They announce her as the hot mess, which, you know, that's kind of a play on her uh, previous Laurel Van Ness gimmick. Number two drawn is Kira Hogan. Great to see her there. They acknowledge her as being the hottest free agent in wrestling today. Of course, play off of her being the girl on fire and all that good stuff. Yet another reason why I doubt that Kira Hogan is ever going back to WOW for reasons like this. She is she is a she's a free agent and she seems to be doing very well for herself. You know, the only thing that she's missing now is, is to get that one big championship match, one big win. In, in the time that she was in Impact, she did have some good matches. She got the tag team championships and helped make a name for herself, helped expand her brand, but she did not get the singular knockouts championship. I think that is what she should be aiming for. That's what she should be going for at this point. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's just a little side note. So, of course, Green and Hogan, they are opening this thing up. The next person out, and I have no idea how long these intervals are. They felt about 60 seconds to sixty to 90 seconds, somewhere in there. Uh, Bianca Carelli comes out next as the number three spot. And this is typical Royal Rumble stuff. Only difference was nobody was trying to throw anyone else over the top rope. And again, they did not explain that until somebody actually got put over the top rope. They had to, they had to explain, okay, there is no over the top rope. This is a pinfall only. So about halfway into this match, you finally got some semblance of the rule explained to you. Thunder Kitty comes out next. Still no eliminations. We are the fourth person in. Thunder Kitty is great. I love the fact that she, even in this 
it's like she fits in this, but not really, because she's got this sports entertainment deal with gimmick where she's claiming to be like 104 years old, and <laughs> and she's she's wrestled with Mildred Burke and the fabulous Moolah and Mae Young and all this stuff, and she dresses like that. She's got like a a very basic. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> She's got like this very basic outfit. She's got the hairdo. I mean, man, I, I got it. I love Thunder Kitty. <laughs> just, just the idea of Thunder Kitty is just fantastic. She needs to get a championship shot. The NWA is, she's made for the NWA. So it's just this funny thing that she has this kind of gimmick, but it fits so well within that promotion. Uh, after Thunder Kitty, you got Genocide, accompanied to the ring by Taryn Terrell. And now you get the Genocide that uh, I wanted to see earlier, the monster Genocide. Uh, I, I don't want to say it too often, but Genocide also looked great, it looked fantastic. Uh, down to her makeup, like I, I, I love the uh, the whole cyborg thing. Um yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of gimmicky and yeah, it's sports entertainment, but it's not like they run around saying that she actually believes that she's a robot. So it works, you know. They they, they do the little opening. She comes with these uh the, these headphones on. Taryn takes it off, and then she is almost like activated, and she goes in there and she starts whooping ass inside the ring. So with Genocide entering, the first person out is Corelli. Bianca Corelli, the number three entry, is put out by Genocide. Uh, Thunder Kitty was also put out by Genocide. Now here's where the problem kicks in. That elimination I didn't see at all because the number six entrant to this invitational was Lady Frost. She does the whole entrance, and let's paint the picture here. What has happened is what you would normally get out of any Royal Rumble, Gauntlet for the Gold, Gauntlet. You had the camera on the ring to see the action. When a new entrant, entrant is announced, the camera switches to the, the ramp camera or the walkway camera. And they follow them in. That person gets into the ring, and then they switch back to the action. Well, here, Frost, she comes out, she has the robe, she does the entrance, she walks down, and then she stops at ringside. She does not get in. She's doing the heel thing. I'm going to let you guys waste your time. You do. You beat up on each other and, and just, you know, do, do you, which is what she does. And they did not switch that camera off of her for forever. You can hear stuff going on in the ring, and they're trying to announce this on, you know, the the commentators, and they are just leaving this camera on Lady Frost for a ridiculous amount of time. Much like I said, with not being able to put the rules up, this was just absurd. And if I'm Mickey James and I'm sitting behind that curtain and I'm watching this show and I'm the producer of this. I'm losing my mind and running out there saying, what in the hell are you doing? Flip the camera. Is This was just insane. 
And they kept it on it so long that you didn't even see what happened to Thunder Kitty. You just knew that she was eliminated because they turned it just enough to see the the, the end of it. So Thunder Kitty's eliminated, and this stupid director or whoever's in there, I mean, barring something that's going on, like a technical issue that forces them not to do it, there was no reason for this. There was no reason for this. Even if they had to tape the uh, the camera that was up top, because they had one that was like in the ceiling or something like that. It's like, even if you got to flip over to that, I mean, come on. Why would you do this? I mean, it, it's not rocket science to know that we need to get this camera off of this woman. Yes, Lady Frost is attractive. I get it. But we don't need to see her for a minute and a half while there's stuff going on in the ring that you paid to watch. That was probably the most egregious, offensive thing that they did in this production. And Mickey James should have lost her goddamn mind over it. Anyhow, Debbie Malenko comes to the ring. And I said in the last podcast, I really hope that they do something to show some footage of her, some pictures of her, uh, I mean, they talked about her, and that was that was fine. They talked about how her career was mostly in Japan, uh, and how you know when she started, uh, probably about twenty plus years ago. They did all of that stuff, and she's in great shape. She she held her own in there. But I was really hoping that they would have something else to like really educate the people who Debbie Malenko was. Uh, as a wrestler, if, if they could have acquired any footage whatsoever, they didn't have that. I mean that that, and that's probably you know outside of their their reach. Uh, that I, I guess you, you have to get out with the pass. But Malenko comes in, and that is the reason why Lady Frost gets into the ring anyway, because Malenko essentially forced her into the ring. Uh, the next elimination happened to Lady Frost. Even though she entered at number six, she was the third person out, and she tapped out to Debbie Malenko. So Malenko did get her, uh, get an elimination in this match. Uh, Jamie, I don't know how to pronounce it, Jamie Senegal, we'll say that. Which was the one I said, okay, this is kind of of all-female battle royal. As who she and I, re, I will refer to him as a she because that is clearly what they wanted. Accompanied to the ringside by somebody who is dressed as Divine. If you don't know who Divine is, look it up. It's a a very celebrated drag queen. So she comes out the ringside and, and look. There's if if they wanted to do an inclusive gauntlet i said before is no problem with that it just seems counterproductive in this sense when they say that they were going for an all-female event rather than an all-inclusive event those are two different things it might be nitpicking but that is the truth it is you know if you want it to be all inclusive, just say that because they could have invited a whole bunch of them there's very talented you know guys that could have participated on that show and guys who identified as women who could have participated on this show. Could, Sonny Kiss could have been there for, for that matter. You know, if you're going to go down that route, then, that route, then go down that route. There's nothing wrong with that. But just make it clear what you're doing. Uh, 
So anyway, uh, we we have the Jamie who identifies as female in, into the match, and they 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 went along with that. Malenko, as she is applying a submission hole, uh, gosh, I can't remember who she applied it to. It's, I, I want to say it's Senegal. I, I might be wrong. Uh, I wish I had took the, wrote that note down. But as she's doing that, Kiera Hogan sneaks in across Malenko's shoulders and pins her while she's locked into a submission. So Malenko could not get out because of the way, the way she positioned her body to apply the submission, and Kira just basically laid on her and got a one, two, three. She's out of there. Malenko's out. Uh, genocide. Oh, wait, I forgot. The number nine entered is Masha Slamovich. So she comes into the ring. She is the ninth entrant into the match. Uh, genocide is put out. And they gave her the monster uh, exit. Like it took more than one person to get this done. One move after the next b- behind Slamovich, Chelsea Green, and Senegal. They all worked together to get her out. Then they dogpiled her. Genocide is eliminated. Senegal is the next to go. Eliminated by Slamovich. She was pinned by Masha. So we're down now to the uh, final four. Before this happens, Tootie Lynn comes out, who's the hometown hero. She is actually from St. Louis, where this took place. And uh, she she gets the, the big pop of the night. Her family's on front row. And uh, they, they really went for it here, giving her the, the final entrant. So clearly there was nothing random about this at all. We're down to Chelsea Green, Kira Hogan, Masha Slamovich, and Tootie Lynn. And the the, uh, exits go in this order. Hogan is pinned by Masha Slamovich, who is working clearly as the heel amongst all three of these ladies. Slamovich is then pinned and eliminated by Tootie Lynn, the blue dragon, the little blue dragon. It comes down to Chelsea Green and Tootie Lynn, both as baby faces. And the crowd wanted to root for Tootie Lynn, but, but honestly, there, there were some people there who just could not root against Chelsea Green also. So it, was, so it got a baby face versus baby face match, you know, because at, at this point, it is just simply a one-on-one match. Uh, Chelsea Green being the number one entrant, Tootie Lynn being the number 10. And again, I have no idea what the intervals were between this because especially during that Lady Frost thing, they just, it's it's like whatever timing that they had, it just went off the rails at this point or at that point. So I don't think it was equal intervals anyway. As good as Tudelin was for the audience and as much as they were rooting for her, ultimately she fell. She did lose to and was pinned by Chelsea Green Green wins the Invitational, and she will go on to challenge for the NWA Women's Championship tomorrow night, or as I'm recording that, tonight at NWA 73. So not only did she get the main event of the evening, but she won the main event, and she is now getting a title shot against Camille. So it will be Camille and Chelsea Green. Going for the championship, which could be a good 
or a very good match. I, will, I am interested to see it. I got the bundle, so I will be seeing it. Uh, and, you know, if you're interested, I may have a bonus review ready and waiting for you to hear how that all turned out. So, uh, oh, yeah, you have to give Chelsea a little bit of credit here because she, she did, certainly didn't walk away or, you know, do anything malicious and, and turn heel at the last minute. She got Tootie Lynn up, raised her hand for the hometown crowd, gave, gave the hometown audience what they came to see. They, they came to see Tootie get her hand raised in one way or another, and they did. And so that was nice. And then as the, the show goes off, she's presented with the trophy. She being Chelsea Green. Uh, the locker room dumps out. The baby faces come around ringside. The heels are up on the stage, which I, I thought that was a nice touch to make sure that they were separated. And in between that, you got the producers. The producers came out and uh, showed their faces on the stage as well. You saw Jazz. You saw uh, Medusa again. You saw Gail Kim. You saw Mickey James. And they close out the show hugging and, you know, giving handshakes and all that good stuff. Chelsea Green moves on to the next pay-per-view. And uh, we will see how that works. Will she win the championship? Won't she? Who knows? We will find out. Thanks for tuning in for this review. I am very happy that you decided to allow me to share what this uh, pay-per-view was and maybe encourage you to take a look. But, uh <laughs> Again, be aware that there are some points where that where that camera work is a little bit iffy, or at least the director on there just did not seem to know what camera they should be flipping to. I don't know what system they used there because it is not just that invitation to battle royal. Let me tell you that it's, it's not just that. I mean, they had it. It was a few times throughout the course of that show, and and that's probably the worst part of it is that whoever was directing it. They needed to flip those shots a little quicker or somebody needed to be paying attention because he was leaving it on cameras that were trying to reposition themselves. So you can't blame the cameraman. It's not the cameraman's fault. They were doing their job. They were trying to get repositioned for the next shot. And when they're doing that, the cameras aren't supposed to be live. They're, they're supposed to be off on something else so that they can reposition and it doesn't look bad on screen. But that, that just didn't happen. But if you could tolerate that, if you could tolerate those things, if you could deal with it not having any video package or, or set up between the matches, because it, it did move pretty fast. That was that was a perk. That was a plus. I did appreciate that. But I, I still maintain I was I am and was spoiled by seeing these shows have these little packages so that we know what's going on. And they just didn't have it. So that's a personal thing. Uh, if anybody out there feels differently you know hey let me know in the comments i'd love to hear what you felt about it was it that big of a deal did it did the camera work bother you did not having video packages even cross your mind i mean you know let me know also before we finish this thing on up if you want to support the channel you want to support these shows hey go over to our teespring site the links are below and go check out some t-shirts you know uh, that will help the channel a great deal it helps us maintain being able to pay some of these young ladies for the time and their efforts and having some of these matches and we want to continue to get some more matches in for you so uh if you are so inclined to grab a 
WPN shirt or maybe an evil, mean, and nasty shirt, which was inspired from back in the day with one of the horsemen. You can look that up. I'm pretty sure some of you uh, wrestling historians will know who I'm talking about. Uh, the WrestleMania parody shirt or, or the Wrestling Big Show parody shirt, I should call it, uh, with the... Uh, W, with the WPN's full spelling of the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. We have those out as well. And, of course, my favorite, and it is censored, so you do not have to worry about walking around and uh, getting uh, getting in trouble for it in, in sensitive areas. But no silly shit, just wrestling. I should probably beat myself for saying that. If you did, then I did it. But, uh, yeah, no silly shit, just wrestling. That is one of my favorite shirts, I, and I do have multiple colors for that. Uh, be sure to check those out. Take them to a show. And again, if you're doing it, it is great support for the channel. Go and see the Women's Pro Wrestling Network website, WPNWrestling.com, for our 24-hour stream of matches from our catalog ranging back to 2013. And we are still producing stuff today, so it is it is moving along. And uh, with that said, I think that covers it all. And we, I'm going to go sit down and go tune in to NWA 73. And uh, maybe, just maybe, I will put up that bonus audio for you guys to check out, listen to, and hear the review. So thank you for tuning in. As always, this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And I will see you on the next go round. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.